Last year, I had the privilege of speaking with Ben Hunt Davis, who is an Olympic rowing gold medal champion, and he used to row with Team GB. And Ben these days leads the performance consultancy, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? In this week's episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Adrian Morehouse, who is a former swimming Olympic champion, European champion, and world champion. Adrian began his company, Lane 4, a UK-based talent development company back in 1996, and he did so with three other people, and in the intervening years grew it to over 130 people. That's quite big. And the reason this is quite topical is because less than four weeks ago, time of recording today is the 12th of August 21, less than four weeks ago in July 2021, Lane 4 was acquired by the global professional services company EY. You might know them as Ernst & Young. So in today's chat with Adrian, what's it like to have your business acquired by a larger company? What does Lane 4 stand for in the marketplace? Which kinds of clients does Lane 4 work with? How did Adrian get his first training clients in the first place, his first paying clients? What was it like to take on his first employees? And where is Lane 4 going next? And what kind of legacy does Adrian hope to build into his business? This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for people just like you and me, people who work for ourselves or in the training slash facilitation coaching consultancy world. If you work with people, helping to develop people and to help people to be the the very best that they can be, well, this is exactly what the show's about. Every single week, we either have a guest on the show, or it's just you and I riffing or talking about some topic which can be helpful to you. And it's a thrill and a privilege every week to speak to you as you tune in. And for that reason, it's wonderful to know that you're finding value in the show. So can I ask you right now to subscribe? Because every Thursday, we have a fresh podcast episode on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or something else. And we find that we have great suggestions from people like you as to go, as regards topics or even guests to feature on the show. So please keep those suggestions coming. You can contact me directly as you do via mark at trainingbusiness.com. I mentioned before the music that we have a guest today. His name is Adrian Morehouse. And for those of you in the UK, you will probably recognize the name. Adrian is a former Olympic champion in swimming. And he went on then in 1996, together with three other people, to start his own talent development management training skills company called Lane 4. He grew that to over 130 people. And quite recently, in fact, less than four weeks ago, as I said before the music, The company was acquired by the global professional services giant EY or Ernst & Young. So today, we're going to look back in time, we're going to look forward in time, and we're going to find out what's going on right now and why why Adrian is so excited about the development and the future of Lane 4. Adrian, hi. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Let's start with uh, what's happened most recently. And if I've got my dates correct, um, 
in July 21. Time of recording right now is August 12th, 21. Not so long ago, um, Lane 4 was acquired by EY, Ernst & Young. Um, what's that been like, mo- moving that to that to that mothership, that brand, from being your own boss, having your own performance consultancy, training consultancy, leadership consultancy, to now being part of a larger organization? Well, well, it's interesting because it is only early days. And so the early days are a mixture between it's still very exciting and there seems to be different processes that we used to have. So you, you get a whole bunch of people who are very excited with the idea of broader reach, you know, being able to affect more people's working lives, which is kind of a yeah. big deal for us. Um, but then there's also, oh, there are new systems, there are new ways of doing things, which is, you know, is, is interesting to try and adopt those. But that, that's that's fine. Yeah. So how many people at the time of of that acquisition? Okay, so we we are about 140 people at that point. So right. 140 people moved over. Um, okay. But the pe- the part we're joining, the PAS People Advisory Services in EY itself is only about 600 people in the UK. So almost like we're a, a large-ish part of chunk and it fulfills a, I guess, a skill set or a need that they have want to build more strongly around culture, leadership, talent management, stuff like that. Okay. So what has it done for your reach in the marketplace? Being, I know it's early days, but so far, what, what do you think? I guess if, if we go to the intention and you saying yes to the acquisition, what, what do you think would have done or will do or could do for your reach in the marketplace? So, so one of the, the main, a big intention was around, as you said, getting to more people. Now, we developed a lot of uh, learning for all online content, so user-specific B2B still, but for team managers. And there's obviously as a small organization, our reach was not as large, but we've got these awesome tools now, um, a series, Adapt4, Team4, Coach4, you know, using the brand. Um, and to our marketplace, we're just getting good numbers. But when yeah. you go to a global organization like EY, you go, well, they don't have anything like this. And so be able to get into every yeah. team manager in, mm. in, a, in, a, in an international reach is, is, is really exciting. Mm. But then they also... Well, we've been working with EY as a consultancy anyway. So uh, one of the big iconic sort of flagship programs with the Met Police in London. Okay. So we, in fact, the Met put us together. It's how oh, we really? first met the EY guys. Yeah. So we pitched separately. So there's a couple of consortia bid for the Met Police leadership, leadership leading for London, the big change mm-hmm. leadership program. And so we bid separately for a few lots. And the Met said, "Look, we, we really like you, but you've got to have one of the big guys sort of." looking after you almost like being because it's such a public sector focused yeah. money you know administration and governance and he said you, you seem very similar to ey your cultures seem the same so how about you go talk to them if you can come together and do that work so we spent three years working with them as a consultancy business anyway so we've got to know them in in the heat of battle if you like so that was very reassuring anyway and had you at the very beginning in the back of your mind the intention of someday being part of a larger organization was it the intention somewhere uh, you know in in your mind yeah. to be acquired well it's an interesting way because i think when you as an entrepreneur starting an organization um you reach certain stages right so you, you know there's different stages like we've been going 26 years and there are stages of growth when you're owner managed and you're very small and you, you think um very very dynamically and it is you just make it up as you go along <laughs> but then you get to a point when you've got a size and a scale and you, you're looking at independence but then you're looking at how do you two things how do you realize value as an entrepreneur because at some point you and i'm nearly 60 right so there's some point you're going well actually how do i release some value and there's different ways of doing that but also how do you get investment so something about financial investment we needed um, a big digital investment 
because you know we developed some stuff and we wanted a platform we wanted an lxp a user user experience platform some real good slick ways to get into market and frankly to raise that kind of funding was going to require private PE. It was private equity. We're going to either float on AIM, like some of our rivals have done the same sort of thing, our competitors, or a trade sale. And it's interesting because we we thought about the options. We t- we really did think hard. We spent a good six months weighing up what was going to work for us because there's four key principles in laying four people who okay. who and we've been friends for 26 years and it was like what do we want to do? What do we all want to do here? What's the right thing to do? We quite liked the idea of going in with somebody like us but needing our sweet spot and and actually not actually just having private equity money or just having a cash injection where somebody would want to return on that cash and it'd be very performance driven and you know if you don't hit that number so there's something about being nurtured into a place that actually gets you wants to values you um and this idea that you can learn and grow yourselves as well because mm-hmm. actually we quite like the idea of being mentored into yeah. a, a big consulting firm to help us with almost possibly the final stage of our working lives you know i mean if i've got i don't know five eight ten years left in me what can i learn how can i be an even better leader so i, I guess the interesting thing is if we're going back in time but i don't think i'm a serial entrepreneur because I started one business 26 years ago and it's still the same business, right? So I'm not looking for lots of little businesses to start. I set something up and actually my personal growth it now relates to, I think, scalability and working in this different way. So I'm quite excited about being a partner in a firm rather than just being a managing, owner, managing, managing director of a, a medium-sized firm. So I quite like it. So you're at the legacy stage almost. It sounds like you're, you're yes. kind of thinking of what do you leave behind or what do you grow to be Almost like the torch being passed on in the Olympic sense, which we'll, we'll yeah. come to separately. But uh, um, legacy, I guess, is on your mind. It is. And that, but the inter- I think the interesting thing about what is the legacy um, and where the brand sits is a, is a fascinating thing. Because, you know, what, what Lane 4 becomes, it, do we hold on to the brand? And for a while, we will do, of course. But the question is, my legacy is to affect more people. If I think I've, we've done something really well and we've got a uniqueness to us, mm. then we always wanted to make, our, our purpose was always making a difference to people's working lives. So you're right, right. as you get to the age I'm at, probably the altruism and the, can you stick this into the third sector? Can you give it away? Can you go to schools? Where's the platform that can really release this? How do you get to every team manager in the world um, if you're in the B2B? And so therefore the legacy is, let's just get our good stuff to as many people as possible. And so I think rather than protect a brand, which I think has got a certain ego to that, or protect a small company, which is, yeah, because yeah, you know, we could have passed it on to some employees in Lane 4 who could have sold it in three years anyway. Right. <laughs> so so what, where, is, where is one's ego in this? And so, so for me, it was more about what's the best chance of landing our stuff in a bigger market? So if, if people are listening and they say, um, what does Lane 4 stand for as a brand? If we think of Lane 4, what comes to mind? With whom does it resonate? And, and on that basis, what kinds of work do you do? Well, I think it's a, it's a very interesting because Lane 4 in itself is, is a, you've got to dig into the brand to understand what it means. And if, okay. if people know it, you get it. So you know, Lane 4 is a, it's, it could be a motorway, <laughs> motorway lane, but it's actually it's a sporting reference. You know, I mean, people might know that. So lane four is a swimming pool lane. It's a, it's, it comes from my history, having been an Olympic swimmer. And so we named it after, it's almost like the fastest lane. So it's a lane you qualify into. So 
to as a favorite. So it gives you the more chance, the best chance of success if you're on lane four. Mm. So there's a story behind it. It's got a sporting metaphor connotation. Right. But the interesting thing is that moving beyond that, it has to be, a, we wanted it to be a fully fledged human resources consultancy um, and down, particularly down the culture, leadership, learning, team, teaming, teamship end, mm-hmm. rather than comp and ben, you know, pensions and uh, recruitment. So we're not down that end of human resources. So the sporting metaphor is helpful. It's historic. It's heritage based. And I guess the best way of talking about what that's given us as a brand is that our willingness to create an environment around people. So our, our thing is that Laneful comes in, looks at the environment, the culture, the organization. What do you need to put in place to make people succeed? Where can talented people come? To use, again, the sporting metaphor, you've got high-performance centers, you know, centers of excellence, you've got mm. Olympic squads, you've got universities in America that are set up for high performance. Mm. And what we recognize is that the human that is employed in an organization gets put into an environment. It's a team. It's a, it's a division. How can you create a division or a team that brings the very best out of those people so they are their best version of themselves at work? So Lane 4 is there to advise, to walk alongside, to coach, to facilitate, to train people, leaders primarily and team managers to create those environments around talented people. And it comes from sport. And in terms of the, the verticals or the, I'd say, the sweet spot of, of clients... Are there particular jurisdictions, geographies you would find you do your best work in or particular verticals, industries you're synonymous with? I mean, you mentioned uh, the Met or... Yeah, so so public it's interesting. Yeah, public sector we have right. done quite a bit, and we have a lot in the UK. We have civil service, you know, learning which used to be called civil service. So the you know government, a lot of government, local and national yeah. government work, um, and yet so vertical stuff. Retail is a strong sector for us. FMCG, okay. FS banking, um, some fintech actually coming through for yeah. us, um, and that, but it is actually but yeah, I can go into publishing. Pearson, we've got we actually have very a broad horizontal actually because if it doesn't matter you know if you're trying to unlock a sleeping giant as an organization you've got this organization that you want to bring change there might be a transformation in the organization there might be um new chief exec or different conditions for the organization might be trying to shift their focus anything to do with people transformation and transition whether you're transitioning the organization or transforming the team of people that are working in the organization we work with. So, but we have found ourselves reputationally strong in certain sectors. Um, right. Was that something that developed um, organically or had you an intention of when you began? Yeah, we think we'll gravitate towards these. This is where we think we'll do our best work. I, I think it was very embryonic. I mean, just we, right. it, it came because... I think we were passed around. I mean, what happened was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, actually, well, yeah. we 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 got some very early work with Safeway in the UK, so food right. retailer. Right. Safeway was then bought by Morrison's, um, I mm-hmm. think, in t- just before two thousand, and because we were running the leadership program and we were facilitating board activity and top one hundred of a hundred and fifty thousand person organisation, we were very well trusted. And as Safeway were, went into play i.e. they were going to be bought by Morrison's or Tesco. There was about a year where they were under competition commission scrutiny so to decide whether they could because of the monopoly stuff. So we spent a year with them trying to help them keep performance alive while they were basically going to be taken over by one of the other big guys. So we got to know the top team, top 100 very well. 
but very soon after that merge, that takeover, from the people side, I don't think it was the best thing that happened. We weren't involved in the takeover. We were just working with the people that were being taken over. And what happens was they all scattered to the wind after that. They all left pretty much of the top 100. A lot of them decided not to stay with the merged organization. And so they went into lots of different organizations. So if you look at Lane 4's five to six year, seven year history, mm-hmm. there's an ex-Safeway person in pretty much every one of our clients. So I could, I, could, I could show you a list of 10 clients about a year after that deal where friends of ours had gone into other clients. So they were, and a lot of them went into retail. So we ended up going into Sainsbury's because a couple of guys went to Sainsbury's, into mm-hmm. Curry's because some people went to Curry's. So it was quite interesting actually how we reputationally moved along retail and then again the same thing in fs or same thing in yeah. in fmcg a couple of big clients we coca-cola was a very early client of ours um and we did we got won a couple of awards for some leadership development there so which also gives gave it um, some credence as well so mm. so I'm, I'm curious because i've looked at the website um a couple of times and i've Take a note of the kind of the offerings that you have you know leadership development talent development management skills training have you narrowed or niched down offerings over the years? Often, the reason I'm asking this is because often when people begin, they're, they're trying to be all kinds of things to all kinds of people. We begin maybe as a two or three person consultancy, talent development company. We almost offer everything yeah. that we can think of. And then we think, okay, well, we need to narrow down, niche down. Have you narrowed down those offerings over time? Yeah, we've always, and, and actually it's yeah. a great point because we found ourselves pruning the tree. You yeah. know, as the tree grows those branches, like pruning in. And so we found ourselves probably every three or four years having a conversation, which was, have we spread ourselves too thin? Do we know, are we being clear on what our niche is or what our, if you like, what we're very strong at? And what we recognized, and we had the last conversation we had about propositions, a lot of our language now about what's the client issue, the client need, and what do we propose against it, i.e. what's our proposition against the client need. And we recognize that our core and our heritage strength was leadership development. Yeah, so helping now senior leaders, but when that runs through to a manager, i.e. leadership with a small L, if you're a manager, even a store manager, you have a leadership role to not just manage the, the process and the function of that store, for instance, on a retail, mm-hmm. but then be able to engage, develop the talented people that work for you in your store. So the leadership responsibility to create something compelling for the people in your team, to challenge them, to drive their, help them drive performance, but create an environment where they think, what a great job I've got. Even at a store manager level, you know, there's work to do. So we've found ourselves developing the, the more volumized management packaged training at a, a more acceptable price, if you like. Mm-hmm. So you, you come down from top team board, top 50 in a PLC, down to frontline manager. You have to have a, a multifaceted offer that has a core strength, if you like, of the way you do it. So that's that was it's a leadership and management development through. But then because we were working at a very senior level, we found that we were very strong in change and transition work. So, you know, a lot of our clients were buying other companies or big turnaround or big changes themselves. So we ended up finding ourselves facilitating just a lot of change, change work. So, but the human side of change, you know, so how do you transition psychologically in organization? So, yeah, it's a big thing right now. I mean, if there ever was a, a context for transformational change, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's what's happening right now. Absolutely. If, if we go back to the early years then, Adrian, um, you know, right back to you were an Olympic swimmer, um, you started Lane 4. What made you want to start a business in leadership development, <laughs> talent development? What was that thinking? 
Okay, so it's a short story actually, in a way, because um, so when I there's two things at play. One is my family background, and the other one is what I did when I finished swimming. So I'll talk a bit. I'll talk first about my family background. So my father was a company director, so he was in business. He left when he was fifty. Um, to set his own business up from our kitchen table. So me and my brother, when we were teenagers, saw my dad take this risk. To And it, the reason he explained to us why he took the risk, he took the risk because his values were transgressed at the organization. So he left to set his own business up because he didn't like the way he was being treated and the, the company were doing its stank thing. And so he set this thing up and he had this conversation with us and said, look, if it doesn't work out in front of my mum, we're going to have to sell the house. We're gonna, you, you know, you're going to have to leave school sort of thing. So there's a bit of a we knew the risk he was taking for and with us. And so we were part of the whole conversation about what business is about. And we watched him do stuff. And then during the summer holidays, both me and my brother, I mean, I started working on his purchase ledger and his bought ledger. I took sales calls for him because he was a small owner managed and he never wanted to grow it big because he was 50 years of age. So it was a lifestyle business, but he taught me and my brother a lot about taking risk about business. And so I have this corporate business heritage of the, you know, that sort of thing. The other thing is that, so I was looking for a business opportunity. What I'm saying, I think, is I was always going to join a company. So finishing being an Olympic athlete, um, I was very, I was never going to just trade off who I used to be. I, always, I was always going to either go work for a big company, do a graduate program, or do something because I wanted to, I thought sport was just an extension of my childhood. And I think people, <laughs> whenever I watch sports people behaving badly, I just think that they're just children that have had an extension to their childhood because effectively, you know, playing games is, yeah, it's nice if you can do it and be paid for it, but ultimately you got to, at some point you got to move on. So I recognized I was going to have to move on. So the first thing I did was I talked to the head of swimming when I retired, I knew the director of swimming very well. And I had a bit of a view about the talent pathways in swimming that they weren't using them very well. So basically, um, we were burning kids out. Kids weren't making it through to senior level. So I was very interested in talent development. So I said to the director, so I, mean, I want to get involved in this. He said, well, I'll, make, I'll make a job for you. So I became the head of talent development for British Swimming. So effectively, my first, I retired in 92. So for three years, I was the head of talent development for British Swimming. And so I created the national strategy with him to look at how do you create pathways for identifying and developing talent. So this is not a short drop, jump now, if you think about it. From, no. So I'm a, a national head of talent development for a sport. I was going to talent development conferences. I was reading. I'm a big learner. I was getting curious about talent development per se. Um, and I met a couple of psychologists who were oxykes, occupational psychologists, and two of them were sports psychologists, and they worked with the Olympic team. So we had this conversation about the sporting metaphor and performance, how businesses a lot of learning that people did in businesses was not applied. So in sports, you get to work with a sports psychologist to apply a particular theory to your performance. So for instance, so Graham, the guy I started the business with, we had this conversation mm-hmm. about handling pressure. And he said, you know, we know loads of people in business who've got a lot of pressure and lots of things they've got to deal with. But you're lucky, Adrian, because you spent two years learning techniques to handle pressure so that you could step up in front of the Olympics, in front of a big crowd and perform and know how to do it. Yeah. Some people in business don't get that. And so we had this conversation about using the metaphor, but actually getting the applicable tool and just give it to business people. So we, we were, and we had mates at Ashridge Business School as well. So I had a friend there. And I knew they were doing, I knew the sector. And I thought, well, actually, if we can get some really good, you know, sport, sport or oxide applied performance psychology into business. I mean, this was 26 years ago. I mean, now there's a lot more of it. But yeah, it, it, yeah. it's time almost. 
Yeah, so we really so then the two guys I was I knew I convinced them to leave Loughborough University, where they were professor, head of department, and senior reader. And I had another friend who convinced me to leave where I was doing, and he was a sales guy. He said, "I'll sell it. You guys do it. You create it, and I'll sell it." And that was and so, before the four people. Yeah, that was our four people. Yeah, right. Not the original. Sorry, not the four that are still there now. We okay. recruited two of those guys left, and now another two came in a year later, and we've. Yes, there's always there's been about six or seven of us over time, but two of the original guys left. And how did you get your first clients? Because that that sounds great. You've got the, you've got the skills. You've got a salesperson on board. What was it to get the first paying clients in the door? What was that like? Um, well, it was. That, that, I think the story of my story or this story is all about belief. Somebody believing in you. Yeah. So the the guy, I didn't want to leave my job. I, I did, but I was scared. And Adrian Hutchinson, the guy, the sales guy who. He said, I believe in you at one point. I was going, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Should we get the guys from Loughborough to, to, to join us? Can we get them to leave their university posts? He said, look, I believe in you. I think we can do this. And I, I believe you can be the person to make it happen. And then also we would, at that time, I'd already done a couple of speaking engagements and I'd been talking about this concept with the managing director of a company called Born Leisure. Now, Born Leisure is a massive organization, which is, you know, they run Butlins, Haven Holiday Parks. So it's right. um, it's a big, huge, huge, huge... brands in the UK, of course. Yeah, in the UK, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a billion pound yeah. business in the UK. Yeah. Um, so I had already met this chap that owned it and ran it. Um, and he said, oh, I really like your concept of working alongside managers. He said, we've got all these caravan parks, all these uh, leisure retail parks, not, not retail parks, leisure parks. Um but you know, these guys, I really want to do some management development, but I really like the sporting overlay. Would you pilot it with some of my parks? And so he, and I remember talking to him and there was a crunch point. I mean, it's too long to go into the story, but there was a crunch point at one moment where we were maybe not going to do it. And he said, look, I believe, I remember the meeting. He said, I believe in you. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, look, I, I'll give you half the money up front if, you, if that'll help you make the decision to leave all your jobs so effectively it coincided we all left our jobs because he wrote us a check for, in those days wrote a check <laughs> for half the money up front Very and nice. said, yeah yeah so we, i mean it was not i mean on the scheme of things it was about 20 odd grand but it, it was enough to say wow this guy does believe in us and he's gonna risk it on us and an interesting they're our clients still we still work with them 26 years later we've worked every year with them on di- different things different guises and they they bought Rank Holidays hmm. a long time back. They bought the Butlins brand. It was a, what was it, £750 million deal. And because we'd been working with it, we ended up doing the integration work with them. So that's when we started to get really interested in not just leadership and team development, but integration, organizational dynamics and development. And so probably about 15 years ago, that's where it moved us. But the sport thing was always there. But I think the story of the start of Lane 4 was people believing in us um but then also me believing in the psych the sports psychology guys to develop the product so i was never the product i was always the the facilitator of great people so i the, what lane four was was always going to be brilliant theory brilliant theory stroke um in with stuff with integrity that can be applied tools that can be applied but i was never the brains behind that it was almost like i needed to help those guys get into the marketplace so i became the the facilitator of the strategy, probably, because that's what I like to do. And then you brought on more staff. And what was that like, bringing in more people? Now it's not just uh, we, it's we marry four people. It's now yeah. 
employees, we've now got responsibilities, we've got people on the books. Yeah, so first employee is somebody to organize this, right? So, so <laughs> operations manager. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, how do we get this stuff working? So, like on an entrepreneur, yeah, it's like how do you organize yourself? So, but no, how it felt, it was, for me, it was quite interesting because I... I remember talking to my dad about this because he was talking about lifestyle business and I was talking about, I want a legacy business because I was 30 when we started Lane 4. Um, so a different generation, a different, sorry, a different age than my dad when he did his thing. And we talked about going for it and what that might take. And so he was my sounding board for a lot of it. Um, but I never felt a burden of other salaries. I, and I, I still don't. Um, you know, the, the idea that, I, and I was always a fan of employing ahead of the curve. So getting, if you... Don't wait too late till you're really stretched and busting at the seams before you employ somebody. Employ somebody if you can risk it and cover their salary because bringing them in will open something up. Because I, I was never, I never believed I should or could do everything myself. I was always a, let's get a couple of people to do something that I can't do or to help mm. us grow. So we were always into, and for the first eight years, we never took a bonus. We never took anything out of the company money-wise. We put it back in. We've put money back in, back in all the time. It was always about, okay, if we don't, let's not take any profit. Let's put it back in. Let's employ a couple more people. Let's get somebody to do research. Let's get somebody to do this because I develop product and let's get somebody to do that. So I was more, I liked the idea of building a legacy business um, from the very early days. And we were always going to plow money back in to self-fund. Hmm. So we began with with what's just recently happened, the acquisition. We've rev- we reviewed the past, the beginnings of of Lane Four. Let's go back to the current day, right now, and even into the future. What is around the corner for Lane Four now that you've been acquired? Um, what do you hope the brand to be three, four, five, six years from now? Well, it's, it's a great question because I be- yeah I believe that the leadership culture, the transformational learning stuff. We've got a unique place and we've got some, I mean, we're not alone, by the way. There's a couple of our uh, people who've worked, you compete against us are in different places. And Mm -hmm. so there is an interesting marketplace right now um, developing. But I think our best work will be with organizations that are transforming where we can, from top to tail, help leaders work out where they want to take the organization. Because we're very good at understanding strategy in, in, the, in its loosest form and working with it because you know no learning no leadership development no transformation stuff should happen in isolation from a strategy because it's got to be in service of the strategy and so I think we're unique in that we've got some people in EY that really understand how to support organizations through change and transform in many different let's say rational ways <laughs> and then lane four can come in in a very emotional way and help the engagement of large groups of people and then develop those leaders to be leaders for the future and help them create conditions for their people to get the best work done. So I'm really, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited about all that. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot to, to look forward to. And also, I'm, I'm interested to know what I can do. So I've talked to a couple yeah. of the, the, you know, the chairman at EY and the managing partner and talked about because they want to make a difference, you know, I mean, lots of people say it, but can they really do it? So, you know, purposeful growth is something that EY thought about for a while and making a, like a, better, a better working world, right? So mm. genuinely, I challenged them. I said, do you really mean it? You know, I'm coming in and I'm going to be a senior partner and be careful what you wish for. You've got my company, you've got <laughs> me, you've got me as well. And I'm going to be fighting for this. So I believe in it. I believe with, with you know, my, I came into business at, with, at a heart level and I wanted to make a difference. And so you're saying you want to make a difference, a better working world and make 
have growth, any growth is done for the benefit of, of society at large, not just the particular stakeholders or shareholders. This has got to be about affecting because you've got you've got a position now in EY or they have and I said you I might now me to make a real difference in society leadership should start can come from any angles and so if you genuinely mean it I want to start working on that with you so I don't know how well it's going to go check in with me in the three or four years I think we'll do that yeah Adrian where can people find out more about you and lean for well I guess on the on the website you know, EY lane four just go search for EY lane four and you'll find anything you find and search my name and lane four EY any of, any of that that's where you find us okay thanks so much for being my guest today on the show Adrian it's a pleasure Mark thank you very much for having me thanks for your time today and thank you for tuning in it's wonderful to know that you're finding value in the episodes I appreciate the emails please keep those coming to mark at trainingbusiness.com a huge thanks to Adrian for being my guest today and sharing the exciting journey of Lane 4 how it evolved from an organization of just four people back in 96 to a recently acquired talent development brand now part of EY Worldwide. So you've got suggestions for guests like Adrian. You've got people more than likely in your network who would find value in the show. So please recommend the show to them. If there are people you'd like to have on the show, please email their names to me and you can contact me directly via mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. You will find, as I've said before, and every week I say the same thing, you'll find episodes, future and past episodes on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or a bunch of other ones I can't even think the name of right now, but there are plenty of them out there. And that's my promise to you to have an episode in your inbox every single week. Now, the last thing I'll ask you to do is to subscribe, because when you subscribe, it ensures that you get a heads up of episodes coming when they're live. And of course, it validates what we do every single week, whether it's myself or James or Sam. And we love to know that you're finding value. If you've got some critique or some some helpful suggestions, I would love to know those. And again, you can contact me via LinkedIn or simply via email, which is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I look forward to your time and your suggestions and your encouragement again next Thursday. Until then, look after yourself, keep training, keep selling. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.